Bailey. And I'm Serena. Welcome to Creative Baggage, a podcast that gets into the nitty-gritty of pursuing an artistic career. In this episode, we talk about our perfectionist tendencies and how they manifest in our work and everyday life. We discuss the ways in which perfectionism can be helpful and harmful to our work and assert that having an awareness of these tendencies can help us improve our creative processes. Do you have unusual perfectionist tendencies? Let us know by writing to creativebaggagepodcast at gmail.com. I feel like whenever we do projects together, you're like, ah, it's done. And I'm always like, no, there's 17 things that are wrong with it. And you're like mad. But also, like, sometimes they need to be fixed. Sometimes it's excessive, I have to say. Like, I will pick on something until there's nothing left to pick on. But it's, like, the way we work together is really funny. Because I think there's, like, a there's a tension. Like, we're always a little bit upset with the other. (laughs) Like, I'm like, I don't understand why you don't care about this. And you're like, I don't understand why you can't just be done. Yeah. And it's weird because... Well, you know what it is? It's because I'm not a perfectionist with my creative work. Mm. And I'm not a perfectionist with, oddly enough, my public image. I'm not a... I don't care, really, Mm -hmm. what anybody thinks of me. It is all about what I think of me. Maybe Mm. I'm a narcissist. See, I have (laughs) kind of a different problem. Like, I don't usually have problems with myself. Like... Yeah. I do enough reflecting that I'm, like, comfortable with myself. And... But with my image especially on social media i'm like well i have control over what i put out there so i'm going to be really careful i'm not going to fully control all of my image because i'm still interacting with people and i can't like obsess over that or i guess you could but i won't yeah um but with like i see kind of facebook and instagram as more of a portfolio right because anybody could look it up and just be like i want a glimpse of who this person is so if they're going to do that, then I might as well put out what I want people to see. Yeah, I mean, that makes all the sense in the world. I just don't care. And I think this is the reason that I have success in classical music. And my field is I am not a perfectionist about my playing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was when I was in high school because I was, like, trying to impress people. But once I let go of the idea that I don't give one crap about what anybody thinks of my playing... Sometimes this is to my disadvantage. I just don't... I do not have anything on the line with my flute playing. It's just not worth it. Why? It's so subjective, number one. Number two, I'm at the point as as a musician where I know when I haven't learned a piece or prepared. And so there's nothing to change there. Um, And if I've done all the work and I've done what I needed to do, whatever happens on stage or at the audition, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, see, for me, it's like there's always more that can be done until the moment that I walk on stage, Mm. right? So for me, it's like I need to assert all the control because I can manage what happens up until I walk on stage. Once I walk on stage, I completely let go of that perfectionism. So it's like that's a different process. But I'm having a lot of trouble now that everything's recordings because for me... It's the time running out that tells me to stop, right? Yeah. I. It doesn't matter if there was three months leading up to that audition or 
two days. Mm-hmm. I have to feel like I did everything I can in that time. But when it's a video recording and I can do it as many times as I want, it's really hard for me to say I'm going to stop now even though there was one crack in there that if I had played it on stage, I wouldn't have cared. Yeah. I mean, I get that with recording. I think recording's awful. <laughs> um, but I just, like, don't... You know, I, I think there's a little bit more leeway for me in, in preparation because I really take into account all the stuff that can happen. Mm. Um, and but I, it's about minimizing the chances because I do yeah. always know that something crazy could happen and I yeah. could miss something on stage. But the way that I see it is, like, if I only get to 50% correct then the chances of me messing up on stage is much well, low or much higher than if I get to the point where I can play it right 99% of the time that I pick up my Well, flute. I mean, it's not about that. I mean, like, I'm just saying, like, sometimes you can't prepare your best. Like, I'm trying to think of a good example, but, like, oh, say, leading up to my sophomore recital, um, I sent myself to the hospital like a month before um and I just like couldn't practice as hard like I couldn't memorize a couple of pieces that I wanted to memorize and there were no disasters Mm. at my recital um but it could have been better um and it definitely would have been better if I didn't almost die a month before um I didn't almost die but I felt like I was gonna so you know it's like yeah, for me, when there's an impending recital, audition, competition, like, everything out of my way. Oh my god, that's terrifying. <laughs> I am reserving the next two months. <laughs> that is terrifying. But I remember how that felt. I remember how that felt. I did that a lot in high school. Um, and, and honestly, I like it. Like, yeah. I'm not a long-term goals kind of person. Mm. I think that I kind of leave the future open because any opportunity could come up and I want to be ready to take it because who am I to say what's best for me in the future Yeah, as a person living in the now? Well, I think if it works, it works, but I was doing it and I hated it. But and that for was- short-term <sighs> goals, like it really is tangible for me and I like just putting every part of myself in it. Yeah. That's um, funny. See, I can't do that. And that's, I mean, that's been the key to my quote, quote, success the last, you know, two or year, year and a half of playing is, like, I play so much better when I don't care. And, like, I think that people have to realize that both of these mindsets can exist and they're both productive. Mm -hmm. Because I saw your perspective in other friends that I had and Mm -hmm. in other mentors musically. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to put my whole self into this. Uh Like, let's go. And I gave myself anxiety disorder, you know? (laughs) Because it just wasn't, it's just not how my brain works. I'm the best performer when I don't care. Yeah. Like, that's just the way it works for my body. And... It's not that, you know, now I know how to prepare properly, so it's not an issue of quality anymore. Um, sometimes in my lessons, it's an issue of quality. <laughs> but I, would, I still would never go on stage with something that's not finished. Um, yeah. So it's like that weight off my shoulders, it is so much better. And I'm so upset because I was going to totally show that off in my junior recital. Um, <laughs> and then it didn't happen. Because I felt like that was the first performance where... I had really fixed most of the big things in my playing that I had been trying to fix. Mm -hmm. And I finally got over the hump of caring. Yeah. 
And I was like right in the middle of my just like single-minded, focus-driven, like recital race to the finish line. Like I was almost there as the final stretch. And it like yeah. I was ready because I really like the moment um, when you're finally like on stage and you're there and you're doing it and you're like, this is what I've worked so hard for yeah and I also I like the process leading up to it even though sometimes I get grumpy and miserable and my friends are like some of us don't (laughs) like it (laughs) but it feels good um and it's not in a way that is unhealthy because I would never make that a constant in my life right like I'm very selective about what projects I put my all into um But when there is one that I, like, especially for, like, my graduation recital, like, that was a big deal to me, and I really wanted to do well, and I had these pieces that I had chosen that I was really, really ready to perform, and most of them were memorized, and it was, like, less than a month before my recital when everything got canceled. Yeah. Um, And it took me a long time to get over it, because I really then had to record my recital and had to kind of give up the rest of that process, right? Because I was ready to record it by a month before my recital. The plan was not to be able to play it by the time of my recital. Like, I was planning on working on it so that getting on stage and doing those things, I would still be able to give a great performance and there would be that live energy and that's yeah. a different, like, skill and a different thing to practice, right? Like, I was going to spend that month playing for random people and preparing run-throughs. Yeah. But in front of a camera, like, it's a separate skill. It's a good one to have, and I'm working on that now with some other things that I'm recording. But it was disappointing because I knew yeah. that I could just play it a bunch of times and I would get it right one of those times. Yeah. I think I have more built-in perfectionist tendencies, yeah. and I've spent a lot of time in my life working on letting some of them go and I think like the way that we act like the stuff that we kind of bicker about is nowhere near the level that it could be if I had not let go of some of my tendencies (laughs) like when we're editing this podcast for example um we know that we just don't have like a perfect microphone or anything pristine but like if we're cutting something out like I get really precise about making the words seamless because I don't know for me I don't want to listen to something that isn't seamless but like if you're editing it you'll just be like well there's a little bump here like half a word has been said there it's like my in my head I'm like nobody's listening that carefully (laughs) but somebody might be because you are yeah exactly oh my god my favorite person on YouTube this is like the funniest thing so I've been watching James Hoffman and he's a coffee critic Oh, no. And he just goes around, like, reviewing coffee paraphernalia. (laughs) And it is not something that is, like, that matters to watch at all. But I love watching his critiques of every, like, machine and everything because every design could be better. And, like, the whole experience of a design matters, right? So... Like, if you have an espresso machine, like, he will critique how smooth the handles turn and, like, (laughs) if the buttons are function, like, click nicely. Um, And, of course, how the coffee tastes. But, like, all the coffee is probably good coffee. And I think this is just uh, your nerd. (laughs) I do like coffee. I worked at a coffee shop. But I think that I care a lot and I notice a lot about 
extraneous yes. parts yes. of an experience. Yeah, you're very detail-oriented. I feel like the reason that I am detail-oriented now is because I used to miss a lot of things. Like, I would take tests and I would know the answers, but I would just read the question wrong or something or make a silly mistake. And right. so I would get things wrong, and of course my parents weren't happy about that. And so, like, now I go back and I always check because I'm always afraid that I missed something. That's interesting because I didn't do that as much, but even if I did, nobody really cared. Mm. So I never, like, it was like, oh, I didn't get 100 on this test. But I think I do certain things yeah. methodically. Yes. Um, it's both, I, like, I'm really impulsive in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's the funny thing I was going to mention that is because we're both very impulsive. Just in different ways, maybe? Yeah. Sometimes it aligns and then we have a really fun night. Um, yeah. <laughs> like if we're both in the mood to go Well, out I'm and impulsive have an on littler things, I think. Yes. I am not impulsive about little things. Like, you know how weird... You're, everything you do is very, like, habit-oriented and well, routinely, routinely oriented. Routinely, but also, think about when I try to buy something that doesn't cost a lot of money. Why is it such an issue for me? <laughs> like, I'll go sit, go back and forth and back and forth. I'm like, should I get pizza for dinner? I don't know. And, like, I am a perfectionist about... Very inconsequential things. Yeah. Um, like, when it comes to where I want to eat or what I want to eat, I won't eat anything until it's the right thing. Mm. See, like, that is just what I do, but on a tiny little yes, scale. Yes, because, like, I... And this is... This happens all the time, but it's just, like, I won't buy a new outfit. Unless I am 110% sold on it. Like, I am a serial put things back at the store person. Mm. Um, for, like, little things. And it's, it's like, a, it's a tinier version. And I'm wondering, how does that relate to my musicianship? I wonder. I mean, also, not everything in our lives align. Like, we were yeah. just talking about how we treat situations differently based on how they're categorized. That's true. Yeah. But I definitely, and I think some to some people, I will come across as impulsive be, for large decisions because I won't talk about it <laughs> until I've made the decision. Oh, my goodness. Or, like, I'll sit on a decision that I'm making and just let it process for a long time. So by the time that I've made it, it could be the first time someone's heard of it, heard about it. Yes. Um, or like it could seem like it's coming out of nowhere, but yeah. really like I do let things process in my head for a long time, even if I'm not actively thinking about it. It's interesting. Yeah. Whereas I like, maybe it's because I want to put pressure on myself. When I have a big decision, I announce it before mm. the decision has been made. Yeah. I've noticed that. And I'm so yeah. hesitant. Like with this podcast, we spent a lot of time debating how much of it we should tell about yeah. or how much we should tell our friends and family about it. And I am a really big, like, I'm starting a project. It's a secret. Nobody can know about it until I am happy with the product. Yeah, see, I don't really have and any you're, secrets. And, like, I think that shows our social medias, too, is, like, you are just yeah. always, like, announcing things, saying new things that you're doing even before they start happening. Yeah. Um, and naturally, it's going to be less perfect. Yes. Because you're going to announce some things that don't pan out. 
Um, oh, yeah. I do that all the time. There's a lot of freedom in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and for me, it's like just because I do things more occasionally and more sporadically, it's like I post the things that I'm yeah. done with. And I don't feel comfortable posting the things that I'm not done with. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And I think it's just, it leads different lifestyles. Because Mm. I I have, like, a very odd group of people who have been following me since I was, like, we've been (laughs) following each other since we were, like, 16. Uh Uh-huh. And it's, like, we all keep up with each other because we're always posting. And I think I would unfollow these people if they didn't. Mm. You know? And it's, like, I, like, there's a couple internet friends who I've just had and there's a certain level of openness that we all had mm. with each other and it's it's maintained itself which is it's interesting hmm um i think it just goes it comes down to a different relationship with the internet also yeah um but again i like things to be curated yes <laughs> curator where i what what is you're that? just a collector i'm just a collector yeah, that's a good way of putting it. But either way, like, there's really good art that can come out of it. Um, yeah, because what happens is we are, I think, in essence, producing the same quantity of art and creative <laughs> projects. Yeah. It's just that you show all of them and I only show the ones that I see through. Yeah. Um, yeah. And because you can't... And I learned this kind of the hard way. Like, you can't produce something great on the first shot. Yes. Right? Like, I'm a notebook page ripper outer to my bones. Every page that isn't something that I feel like should be part of the book, like, is a like my sketchbooks, they start out with 100 pages and they end up with 18. Because any like thing that I put in there that isn't great, I rip it out and I start again. But then what I have left in the book is everything that you flip through is something that I'm proud of. Yeah, I want to keep everything. <laughs> I'm a hoarder. I'm a creative hoarder. Hmm. But I think like as an artist, you have to take the time to think about these things about yourself. Because then you can learn how to make yourself better even if you're not striving for some kind of perfection or some kind of like something that already exists maybe you're doing something new like taking the time to sit down and be like am I a hoarder or am I a curator it's important for someone like me I think for a long time the expectation was that I would just be able to sit there and do nothing until I came up with the perfect thing and then I would put it in my notebook and that would be that page. And then I would just sit there and wait for the next one to come. And that's not how it works. Yeah. And like there is a direct correlation between volume of works and... Quality. Yeah. Hi guys, we're on Instagram and Twitter. You can follow us at creative.baggage on Instagram and at baggagecreative on Twitter. You can also find links to these platforms in the description of our podcast.